Fellow knowledge seekers, I hope you've had a chance to check out the Waterline podcast on iTunes and your Android app. And if you checked it out, please give it a good rating. It's a wonderful podcast. Water is one of the biggest driving forces of life on Earth. It's been incredibly influential in human history from the time we were hunter-gatherers looking for fresh sources of water to the uh, uh, agricultural revolution and building bigger and bigger cities eventually having plumbing uh, the way that it changed sanitation uh, irrigation and what is the what's the future of water are we going to have enough of this stuff how can we make more clean fresh water i just listened to a very interesting episode alchemy turning milk into water sustainable water management this episode is all about this very candid conversation about water coffee industrial practices sustainable value chain and social responsibilities with uh this man carlos uh galli who Uh, whose job it is to make sure that the biggest food and beverage company in the world is leading a healthy and sustainable lifestyle. Incredibly important stuff. You guys are into science. You guys are into learning, caring about the world, caring about our future. This podcast is for you. Check out the Waterline podcast on iTunes and your Android app. Hello, everybody, and welcome. I'm very excited today. I have the very first ever Here We Are podcast guest, Marty Hazelton, is returning to the show out with a brand new book. I'm so excited. It has me reflecting on the podcast as a whole, how far how far it's come, how much we've learned together, not just science. I've got to learn how to be a host and how to communicate with people better. It's been a, it's been a wonderful journey, and I... Actually, didn't uh, Marty's new book, Hormonal, The Hidden Intelligence of Hormones, it wasn't out, so I didn't get a copy until we actually did the interview, and I've been reading it. I have to say it's fantastic. I'm going to put myself out there. I'm, I'm going to let my biases be known. I think, uh, I think women are pretty neat, and uh, I like learning about them, and, uh, <laughs> and I'm sorry. I'm sorry if that offends people. If that makes me biased, or maybe it, maybe it makes me just a shameless panderer, whatever it is, I don't know what's motivating my, what's coming out of my mouth all the time and my, my instincts, my behavior and and my perceptions. That's what this podcast is all about. Who knows? Who knows what's running through my noggin? I don't know, but my consciousness is telling me that I think ladies are neat. I wish, uh, I wish there's more of them in the sciences. Well, more of them in general, to be honest. Uh, but I, I wish there's more of them in the sun. I go out of my way to try to get more uh, women on the show. And uh, it can be difficult at times. If you happen to know um, some female scientists out there, I think it's just important to have. This is all about exploring different perspectives and perceptions. And what better way for me as a male to hear about another perception than to hear from someone who is a of a different gender or uh, race or other sort of different background than I have. It just makes it easier to get a different point of view. So um, that's uh, so I'm just excited about this is this is two of uh, actually four 
a lovely, brilliant uh, women in a row on the show. Maybe more than that. Who knows? That's just how many podcasts I've recorded so far. And uh, it just makes me happy. I like to think I, I, if I could go back in time and tell uh, awkward teenage Shane to not worry about it. One day he's going to be talking with these uh, amazing, intelligent uh, ladies and actually carrying a good conversation with only being slightly shy and awkward. And uh, I, uh, young, young teenage Shane wouldn't have believed it, but here I am. Uh, so yeah, weird intro. That's, did that feel weird to you guys? It felt weird to me too. I have an opportunity to re-record this, um, but I'm not going to. I like it. I came from the heart. I mean, everything that I said, check out the book Hormonal. It's fantastic. Super interesting. I, in fact, I want to finish this book and hopefully next time I'm in LA, I can I can uh, get Marty back on the show to answer some more questions that I now have. So make sure and get the book and and write me with questions of your own and enjoy today's episode. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I have return guest, professor at UCLA and author of her first book, Fantastic book, Hormonal, The Hidden Intelligences of Hormones, How They Drive, Desire, Shape Relationships, Influence Our Choices, and Make Us Wiser. I was just about to sit here, and I was going to tell you when we first met, we met years ago, Mm -hmm. but when we first sat down and recorded the very first Here We Are podcast, three and a half years ago or whatever it was, I was this shy boy and I was like, and now I'm all confident and growing. And that's not true. And now I'm still, I'm still just fumbling over my, my words. I'll get, I figure by the time I'm like 42, I'll be a man. That's the plan. Mm, we'll see. Okay. I'm, I'm well, feeling it out. I'm, I'm not right. quite there yet. I'm getting there. I'm working towards it. Um, but I think I'm, you'll make it. <laughs> I'm very excited for you. Congratulations you. on the book. How much, there must have been aspects of it that were quite a bit more fun than writing scientific papers. No? Yes. I, there are a lot of personal stories. Yeah, nice. Um, I, I, I pushed the boundary a little bit uh, in terms of my comfort level. Um, I talk about getting pregnant with my kids, having my kids, what the experience was like after I had my kids. Um, I even talk about some of my experiences when I was in graduate school where I was starting to notice that there might be hormone influences, like, you know, monthly hormone influences on our attractions. Mm-hmm. And um, the there's one incident in the book, and um, I'm uh, either excited or fearful of that person reading the book. 
and recognizing that it's that it's him. <laughs> yeah, welcome to my life. I I go around and I'm like performing in bars and clubs and whatnot, and not really thinking about mm-hmm. the jokes that I'm telling. And then I go through my hometown, and I'm like, oh no, Whoops. I forgot that I wrote all of Hi, those Jenny. jokes. Hi, Jenny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's that's so exciting. And then I. I mean, you get to be a little looser writing a book, oh, too. Oh, absolutely. That's got to be fun. Absolutely. A little, a little and wild think, speculation yeah, here and um, there. Well, um, you know what? I don't... I love wild speculation, well, by the way. I, well, I'm, I'm not afraid of speculations. We, we sometimes call it hypothesizing <laughs> sure, in science sure. or okay. theorizing. Um, but, but um, you know, the way, the way it, it, the book lets loose is by being, I think, a little bit more humorous, for sure. Well, yeah. a lot more humorous than a dry scientific article. Right. Um, and then also by infusing it with personal stories. Um, yeah. But, the, you know, those that are my own and those that pertain to other people. Um, it also gets a little political, which I have never done before in my scientific career. I've always been like sort of like a just the facts, please person. Um, but I started working on the book and I started to get like really annoyed because yeah. there is a sexist, what I think is a totally sexist double standard in how we view thinking that hormones influence women's behavior versus hormones influencing men's behavior. So, so this, well, so the, you know, even the term hormonal, does, mm-hmm. does anybody ever call a man hormonal? That's, that's true. And, uh, you well. know, maybe to, uh, very rarely, if, if ever. I mean, we, we guys will get, um, ship for being like too testosterone. Right. Or- right. But that, that's not keeping them out of the oval office. Right. Not, right. <laughs> no, not case in point. Uh, right. So, um, you know, and, and so there's this view that, um, and so there are sort of multiple angles on it, but, um, you know, one view is, is what I've seen within science. And that is that people have avoided fully exploring the topic of women and their hormones because they're, they're concerned that, you know, if you say that women are affected by their hormones, then you're going to, you know, you're going to, um, confine women to girlish stereotypes or you're going to, um, cause, you know, or you're going to, um, have women confined to a maternal role or you're going to s- smash them up against the glass ceiling if they want to achieve. And there's, in fact, a long history behind those sorts of ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a politician named Ed- Edgar Berman. Actually, he was um, Hubert Humphrey's personal physician, but also his advisor. Um, and he said... He was a staunch Democrat, and he said that um, women shouldn't be trusted in positions of power because they're because of their raging hormones. He ultimately huh. did resign his position. This was back in the seventies. Um, raging hormones. Raging hormones. <laughs> but then he kind of like dug in his heels and doubled down, and it was just you know it was like one thing after another. But you think, okay, well that's sort of kind of ancient history. All, how fast all of the wars clock- are caused by women's raging hormones. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, so I think that's an excellent that's an excellent point, and let's return to that one. Right. Um, but you know, you have to ask yourself: Well, is that an antiquated idea or not? Right. Um, and then you see something like Donald Trump, 
yeah. responding to Megan Kelly when right. she pressed him about his, um, you know, reported treatment of women. And he, in an interview after the debate, said, oh, well, she had blood coming out of her wherever. Yeah. You know? I, I can't I, that's it's surprising to me that Donald Trump said something inappropriate, but now that I'm remembering <laughs> <laughs> But but that stuff uh, still happens. And not so- only not only does it happen, but it actually happens so much now that we're just like dull to it. Like, it, that's like possibly you can barely true. you can barely yeah. even talk about you can barely even criticize Donald Trump anymore without people being like bored by it. That's how <laughs> out of his mind. Well, and yeah, but he's like eating up all of the airways. But that's another topic right. altogether. Um, so, but I think that, that, um, researchers have been affected by that kind of notion Mm -hmm. and there's a concern amongst researchers, um, amongst people in, in general, political activists, that if we talk about women and hormones, then we're going to, um, confine women in various ways, but nobody really has that concern about men and hormones. And I'll give you an example. Um, so there was a paper that was published in uh, just before the Obama Romney election. Um, and in the paper, the researchers showed that women's hormone, hormone cycles, where they were in their hormone cycles, whether they were close to the high fertility point in their ovulation cycle or not, might have an impact on their political preferences. It caused a firestorm of controversy. It was so controversial. Um, that, that CNN ultimately retracted the story, even though there were no factual inaccuracies. Hmm. Um, and there were crazy headlines, like, you know, a, a blogger on Jezebel said, CNN thinks crazy ladies vote with their vaginas. Okay. <laughs> but here's the thing. Here's the thing is that there's just as much evidence, if not more evidence, that testosterone affects men's preferences as as well, their political preferences. So men who have higher levels of testosterone are more militant. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, but nobody complained that men were that going to the, the nicest way that someone's told me that I have low testosterone. <laughs> by the, by the way. Well, thank you. That was actually very complimentary <laughs> when you put it like that. But, but, but here's the thing. Nobody complained like the blogosphere was silent on this one. Nobody complained that men were going to the polls to vote with their penises. Right. Even though it's probably more possible to vote with your penis than your vagina. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've pressed several buttons <laughs> with mine. <laughs> so, you know, I just got I got I got kind of fired up about this because I think that there's a dearth of knowledge in some really important areas Yeah. Um, when it comes to women's hormones and things that affect their health and their well-being. It is a tricky time right now where it seems like it's hard to have honest conversations and then there are people on the other side of it that's just like well i'm just being honest i'm just like well no you're just being an asshole right and then there are Mm -hmm. and so it is it's a it's a tricky time right now with with like what is politically correct what's too politically correct where yeah well you know so i think that um I, i mean my book is um, I've written it from a feminist perspective. It's not a typical feminist perspective, mm-hmm. perhaps, because um, there's a chapter in the book called the New Darwinian Feminism. So it's, you know, there's a biological foundation. We need to understand it. It's 
women have a right to fully understand the biological foundations behind their behavior and even the evolutionary roots of their behaviors. And so I don't think we should be scared of this stuff. We right. just need to be better educated about it. And if we are, then I think that there are a bunch of consequences that could follow that could really um, be better for women and be better for men. Um, and I can give you an example. Sure. So we have men have some bedroom troubles from time to time. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, Just, and so, shh. yeah, okay, well, uh, not very many, no doubt. But, um, well, actually, I think these drug companies do pretty well. That's um, true. Uh, so we have, you know, Viagra That's, and Cialis we, we had, and all that. You, you know, uh, you know, Nikki Prossi. Yes, of course. And, I've had her on a couple of times. So, yeah. so we've, we've, we've talked all about how, how, uh, guys just need to have their erections to be very consistent all of the time. Right. Yeah. You know, or they're, or otherwise they're, they're all like, all sorts oh, of insecurities. No. And, yes. Yeah. Um, I've, you know, whatever, whatever suits you, but <laughs> right. here's the point. Um, you know, so, um, Men can, to solve these bedroom troubles, mm -hmm. take a, a a pill half an hour before they want to or think they're going to have sex. And, you know, all's well. You know, all the, impo the, the all-important blood flow to the penis right. delivered and, and so forth. That's and pretty magical, actually, when you <laughs> phrase it like that. What a, um, what a wonderful era. Yes. But then what do women have? Um, well, you know, the things that women complain about in the bedroom are a little bit different. It's it's low desire, mm -hmm. which might be a tougher nut to crack in some sense. Well, that that was bad. But in, in any case, you get you get my you get right. my point. Um, it, it might it might be more complicated. It probably is more complicated. But we have nothing. What we have is a drug um, called, and it's so sexy, flabanserin. Oh, wow. Yeah. It doesn't have the same zip as Viagra. No, it doesn't. Um, and flibanserin you have to take if you're a woman who wants to be treated with this drug. It sounds like a weird, like, tuba-shaped instrument or something <laughs> like that. Like, half tuba, half accordion is what I'm picturing. <laughs> oh, God. Well, that might be more useful in the world than this drug. So this drug, you have to take it every day. Um, you... You cannot consume alcohol. All right, so no champagne, right? <laughs> you know, on the, for those romantic, right. and and um, it it makes you dizzy and pass out, and and it only makes you want to have sex one more time on average per month. Wow! Right. So, so that's a bit of you know that seems like a bit of inequality to me. Right. I have no idea whether, you know, we can solve the problem of low desire for women with more research, but it just, you know, it strikes me that there, well, you'd think that there's a, a real discrepancy. For it, right? <laughs> I think so. I think, I think, I think everybody would kind of appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and, and there are these other biases. I'd be that grinding it up in the, in the dinner that I was <laughs> cooking. Actually, that's kind of shady. I, uh, that I would, probably well, hmm. well, with my girlfriend. Yes, of course. Yes. Consent first. Of course, of course, of course. <laughs> um, but there are, you know, but there are other echoes of this kind of, of these differences in, um, how well researched some of women's issues are as compared with men's. And one of them stems from one of the 
the the sort of one of the core subjects of the book, which is um, that female subjects, and I'm talking about rats and mice, you know, and hamsters and so on, and and monkeys and and um, are viewed as messier subjects than males of those species because they have hormone cycles. And so they've been left out of a lot of clinical research. Um, and, and so the males have sort of been viewed as the default. Well, if you understand the male case, then you understand the female case. But we know very famously that that's not true for heart disease, for mm-hmm. example. And I think that that's also not true for a variety of things that, you know, move into the bedroom, for example, or that have to do with contraception and the outcomes uh, of the consequences of using contraception. There, There's even a sort of a remarkable paper that came out in the last few years that showed that um, there's an apparent penis bias in the study of <laughs> animal genitalia. Um, I just love the term penis bias. <laughs> Yeah, we could riff on that. But um, so so male genitalia across a variety of species have been studied more than female genitalia. And it's not because female genitalia are uninteresting. Um, female waterfowl have like these labyrinth-like reproductive canals. Sure. And they can shunt off the sperm of oh, different males. you don't need to males. tell me. You do you? You've been you've well, introduced and, and the males have the corkscrew. Oh yeah. The corkscrew yeah. penis to try and circumvent yeah, yeah. the the, the right. labyrinth. Anyway. Yeah. Um Well so. and then in the uh, insects have also the insect vaginas are, are Yeah, and so it's, are they, it, they're not they're called vaginas on insects. Um, or reproductive tract might be a sure. more general But they term. have like a million different little maze the, oh, things yeah, going on. Yeah, there's there's and, all kinds of fascinating stuff going yeah. on with reproduction and you know a lot of it due to coevolution between males and females and females i've been trying to tell people forever <laughs> that, that we are just not fascinated enough by vaginas we need, we need well we have really we boring need to look into these things we have really boring genitalia i think females? i mean i uh, no no both <laughs> sorry oh, shane humans. sorry yes i meant yes yeah, sorry sorry to humans. burst your bubble there oh. shane but um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, if my genitalia is so boring, why can't I stop playing with it? <laughs> so, I, I mean, the, the, I mean the, the male genitalia is exterior. Well, I think you know. That, I think that might, for studying purposes, just ease of, like, getting to it is... Right, well, It's a yeah. little more, like, in your face. Yeah. Maybe that. Okay. Maybe, maybe that's, that, maybe that's a reasonable alternative explanation. I don't know. But I, I don't know what I'm defending here. Right. But 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 there is this you know longstanding bias in biomedical science, um, whereby males are sort of studied as the default, mm-hmm. um, and you know even at the cellular level, males and females are different. And we've now learned that, and the National Institutes of Health here in the United States have. Um, have new policies that require that males and females be investigated in equal numbers for most things. And, and, you know, things like um, ovarian cancer that only affect females, you know, that's, that's, that would be an exception, but you would have to make a strong case for an exception. 
So I got a little bit fired up and, um, Good. you know, and so there's a, there's, there's like some political stuff Wonderful. here. That's yeah. great. Yeah. And so that's why the book is called there. Hormonal. Yeah. Um, because I think, um, the, well, the idea is that, um, we take that word back. Do you think that sometimes I'm I'm probably going to make a real ass out of myself right now That's by okay. asking this question? Do you think that um, speaking of getting fired up and hormonal when it comes <laughs> to the old uh, the old cliche of of uh, females raging hormones or whatever being menopausal and mm. um, and 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 there are cramps and things that come along yeah, with it, right? Do you think that some of that is due to our modern society where in a hunter-gatherer society before contraception, there wasn't the, they weren't having as many periods and now oh, all of yeah. a sudden the body's going like, what are you doing? You're yeah. not reproducing. What the hell is right. going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's actually, you know, a hypothesis that's out there that I talk about in the book that, that PMS is, you know, it's like... you. We're having regular sex, and you're, this is and this is happening at a non-conscious level right. in the mind, presumably. We're having regular sex. Um, I am not having babies. What's going on here? You know, right. and so then you know, impending menstrual onset grouchiness with boyfriend yeah so you know might yeah and then you consciously fill in why you're feeling a certain <clears throat> way oh, I, or, or you, not you or you just say oh, i'm just hormonal and, and mm -hmm. you know women have really gotten that message you know throughout their 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 decades of life and Which are, if anything i think that guys should uh, i think it should be a reason to be sympathetic you would you would I, hope i i would think so i would you know just you know um it, it's like when when my mm -hmm. girlfriend is like oh sorry about a few days ago it it was because i was having mm -hmm. some cramp i didn't yeah, realize yeah. it until now right i'm like that's wonderful news i thought <laughs> I, I thought it was me that's like yeah. such good news right right so i guess there's there is more than one way it's like the, yeah. the necker cube you can look at that it might either be way different than i don't know I, I'm I'm not I'm definitely not your typical alpha uh, male either, yeah, but well, I don't I know, know whatever. Um, um, yeah. So so that so I, and I think that 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 is sort of a fanciful hypothesis, and there's no direct <gasps> evidence for it. That's my doggie. I, I uh, love a good just so story. Um, but um, I, I like a little it, hypothesizing. It, but I think it's really interesting, and, you know. But the the thing about um, hormone cycles that that I talk about in much of the book is that I'm not actually talking about PMS. I do I do address the subject, mm -hmm. um, and I'll say one other thing about PMS. It's like there's this thing that people sometimes do where they will say, oh, "You're just being that way because you know you're hormonal." And and this is a particular type of hormonal. There are many types of hormonal. Mm -hmm. um, and let me just say, this is like a public service announcement. That is really, really annoying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You never hear the, you, you never hear like, wow, that 
She was the life of the party. I guess she was really hormonal this evening. <laughs> right. You don't <laughs> hear that one. She's, yeah. So she's usually. sexy and dancing great. Right. And so usually. <laughs> super hormonal. Usually people, what people mean when they say hormonal is that women have lost their rational faculties for one reason or another. You know, they're approaching menstrual onset. They've got PMS. And, or, you know, they've got, they're in a pregnancy fog, um, which. I have opinions on that, or they are... I've never heard the term pregnancy fog, actually. Oh, or they have pregnancy brain. Well, <laughs> shame. I haven't heard those. Well, you've, you've, never, you've never had a child. So. Uh, yeah, I guess I'm out of the loop. <laughs> You're out of the loop. Um, and then in the postpartum period, you know, people, are t- people talk about, hmm. you know, sort of hormonal things. And there are definitely things that are to be concerned about like postpartum depression which is which is certainly something that's real and affects a lot of women um it's too bad we just can't <clears throat> stop being assholes because this stuff would be so interesting to get into if, well, it, if, it, if it wasn't used to uh, if it wasn't used to discriminate uh, against people uh, and yeah i mean else. I, I think it's i think it's totally fascinating and i think that that the more we know the better off we are yeah. Um, from the female side of things. Well, here comes your book. It's going to change all of that. <laughs> yes. From the female side of things. I keep interrupting. No, just no, excited. no, no. Uh, I think I think it works for the female and the male side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think of our the things that affect us, that the hormonal um, effects um, as being hormonal nudges, because you know um, we make decisions to or to. Or, or not to follow whatever is pushing around our desires or inclinations, right? Chocolate cake for breakfast. Sounds delicious. Mm-hmm. I don't do it very often. Even though your even though your instincts might be <laughs> even, well, yeah, pushing even, you to get well, more even, sugar, even though it might be, you know, I mean, it, 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 but I could tell myself right. a couple of different stories about that. One story I could tell myself is, well, my body must need it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I guess I'm going to do that. Another story I could tell myself is, well, that's just because, you know, our ancestors evolved to crave sugar, right. salt, and fat. And this has got a lot of sugar and fat in it. And so that's why it sounds totally delicious. It's but Hijacking and, my and, instincts. <laughs> yeah, right. And so I think, but I think the same thing applies to our understanding of these hormonal nudges. And so you might be in a satisfying, very happy relationship, you know, uh, two kids under five, a mortgage payment, you're not going anywhere. Um, and um, then all of a sudden, somebody catches your attention. But if you know that it's a fleeting thing, and if you know where it comes from, if you know that it's something that is a legacy of our ancestral past, then you might just totally say, well, I'm going to blow that off. Or it depends on it depends on what your goals are. Yeah. Uh, or you might decide to indulge it and, um, you know, yeah. see what happens. Yeah, um, you can and, either be like, screw you, jeans. You don't care about me. I don't care about you that's back. Right, or that's you can right. be like, I'm going to use you to feel good that's right, right now. That's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. I call it hormone hacking. Right. Um, it's like mind hacking for, but with yeah, respect yeah. to hormones. And so the more you know, the, the more informed decisions that you can make. So how do guys, how do, how, so a guy's on a date and, uh, and he's hoping things go well mm-hmm. and he wants to, 
hormonally nudge a lady in uh-huh. the right direction. You have any tips for fellas out there? Dear. Um, <laughs> hmm. How about have really broad shoulders right. and a symmetrical face? Look like George Clooney. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <Aww>. everyone <laughs> just turned off the podcast oh. and, and started crying a little oh. bit. No, um, no, no. I mean, I mean, women, women have like a, a long list of things that they desire in mates. Mm-hmm. And it depends on whether a woman is looking for somebody as just sort of a one-off hookup or um, a long-term prospect. I mean, I think that uh, I think that guys can uh, be a little versatile if they need to be. Mm-hmm. I think that it, if the situation calls for it and yeah. you know that this is the right nudge to give, like, oh, maybe I'll man it up and be a little more aggressive right now because the the mood calls for it and yeah. then other times you might get the vibe that being sensitive is the yeah. better s- strategy yeah. or what they're looking for yeah yeah that. you know there i've been doing this research for a long time and one thing that has come to my attention in part through voicemails left in my on my office voicemail yeah. is that the hookup artist community yeah, <laughs> a little creepy. It would, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and and they, but they, they, they follow. The, but I'm just so very desperate. They, they, <laughs> they follow the work, but I think they really misinterpret it. Uh, you know, well, well, I'm not thinking that those guys are like mini George Clooney's. I don't know. Yeah, they're getting, well, they're. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start getting hate mail. I'm just uh, fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. I was just asking questions that I thought some guys might be asking themselves. Oh, That's yeah, all. no, it's a good question. Um, yeah. Let, let me ask you. Uh, let me ask you a better question. What are, what are some things that you learned while writing this book that stick mm. out to you? Well, mm, well, I was, I was, I, by and large, I was writing about things that I had written about in scientific papers okay. in the past. And so I was translating them for the masses. Right. But I guess one of the main things that I learned was that was about this, you know, was just the extent of this double standard in viewing women's and men's hormones. Um, and I learned some of, and I learned a lot about the, the history, which is really fascinating. Um, so, uh, animals have, most mammals have, estrus, which is this special phase of sexual receptivity and attractiveness. It's like the sort of sexiness gets turned on. Um, And people thought for a long time that humans didn't have this. And part of the reason for that, so, you know, and that's happening on the the few fertile days of the cycle. And I'll just give, I'll give an example. So in hamsters, um, hamster females will only even associate with males when they are within this very narrow window of, fer- of fertility within their cycles. Otherwise, why would you bother? Well, <laughs> I I don't know exactly what's going on in their little hamster heads, but um, they are amongst the most aggressive females in the animal kingdom, and they'll like there there are these really if you read the original scientific literature, there are these fascinating descriptions of like the ritualized. Um, and like super aggressive fights that the males and females get in if the females don't want to be approached by the males. Uh. They call it like a rolling fight. There's like biting. There's like biting off bits of flesh. Anyway, it sounds, it's it doesn't sound pretty. 
um, by any means. Hmm. Um, and so hamsters are a, a case where there's so-called classic estrus, where females will only have sex during the narrow fertile window of their cycle. When they are um, in that narrow w- window of their fertile cycle, they will leave a scent trail that attracts males to their burrow, and then you know males will come along and they'll do their thing. Um, and then the females, and this is totally fascinating to me, and this was a piece of news to me, they grow an imperforate membrane, um, is the scientific terminology that gets used, across the vaginal canal. So they are actually physically incapable of having sex outside of the fertile window. Wow. Yeah. It's like a little alien shield or something. Yeah, penis force field. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so because humans don't have classic estrus, right? Humans will have sex, you know, kind of any time, um, early in adolescence before they're really, truly fertile, um, during pregnancy, during the postpartum period, when a mom is breastfeeding, she may be interested in sex after menopause, um, you know, in the post and the uh, post reproductive years. Um, and, and certainly within an individual cycle, um, women are having sex outside of the fertile window. So we have an extreme version of what's called extended sexuality. And for that reason, people thought that estrus didn't exist in any form. So scientists just thought that humans had been emancipated from hormonal control. And certainly, I think hormonal control is too strong a term to use for humans. But when I started doing research in this area, or at least when I got interested in research in this area, um, nobody was really studying estrus-like phenomena in humans. There were a couple of papers. They were very um, tantalizing. Um, but it, it wasn't something that people were really pursuing because the scientific consensus was that um, humans lacked estrus-like phenomena. You know, and so I'm not talking about classic estrus. I'm just talking about changes in sexual interests and desires and in women's um, potential attractiveness to males um, or, as it turns out, females. We did a little bit of research on that, too. Um, and uh, so so, so we were going, you know, quite against the grain um, to start doing this research. And... Um, that was part of the reason that it was so much fun. And and uh, to get back to your question, what was it that I learned? I learned a lot about the history of these ideas. Hmm. Um, and so some of the ideas, and one of the reasons I think that we didn't um, find the phenomenon of human estrus um, was because... Um, People were kind of looking in the wrong place. They were they were applying a very simple model. Uh, these are scientists applying a very simple model that said, "Well, then women should be having sex more on fertile days of the cycle." Let's see if that's the case. And it wasn't really the case. Um, and there are some very interesting reasons for why that might be. Um, but it, but it assumed that women were sort of you know just going to be more interested in sex mm-hmm. on fertile days of the cycle. And I don't think that's the case. I think w- what is the case is that women are kind of keeping their, they're looking around and they're looking for the best possible mate 
um, who in, in, at least in an ancestral context, might have contributed um, high fitness genes, meaning that the kid's going to turn out to be more healthy or, um, you know, make it to reproductive maturity and be more attractive to other females. Being choosier during that time? Being choosier, yes, but being choosier about certain kinds of traits, um, traits that might indicate high fitness underlying genes in males. Um, so, um, the things that we think of as sexier in general. Um, so that was one hypothesis and I can come back to that if you want to, but, um, that was one hypothesis and that sort of was a resounding failure. And so people said, well, I guess we don't have that. Um, you know, the, the estrus actually, um, means frenzy. Um, and no, there was no frenzy. There was no frenzy. There was, there was maybe choosiness instead and and some caution it was wishful thinking for the frenzy. well you know who knows um and and you know and then after that it was um oh well then females just become more receptive and so males might detect that females are in a fertile point of their cycle and so they're, they're just you know they're kind of like oh it's this was a very passive model of female sexuality so they're just going to hang back you know and then the male approaches but that was based on like caged animals right they do not have a lot of choices actually they're sort of randomly assigned to their mate so um you know it 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 looked like in those animal species rhesus monkeys for example um, the females would just, you know, be receptive. And there are actually a couple of different interpretations of, of those data. One is that, you know, they didn't have much choice of their partner and, you know, they didn't, you know, and, uh, you know, who wants to become a, uh, an evolutionary dead end, um, or that they, um, uh, are, it's too much trouble to resist, uh, a larger male, and if you're stuck in a cage, well, then, then that's a bummer. That's a bummer. That's, that's a, a bummer, that's a man. Sad story. It is a sad story. <laughs> um, but then there were some studies that um, with um, rats, for example, in their in their um, rats and mice in their native environments, that showed that um, I think that these are rat studies um, that showed that um, the females would sort of run around in these burrows that they had that had lots of different, um, you know, chambers and tunnels and so forth. And they would mate with multiple males, but the male that they mated with first and last, and they were in some control of the timing of, of when that happened, when they were in estrus, those were the males who fathered the most offspring. Mm. So females were exercising some volition and some choice. And that really revolutionized things. So that was something that, that I, I didn't know. I, I, you know, I knew some about that history, but learning about that stuff was really fascinating. Mm. One of my favorite papers that I read when I was doing research for the book, it was a paper by um, a famous sex researcher named Frank Beach who originally believed that um, male sexuality was more complicated than female sexuality. You know, that females were sort of, you know, would be approached and that they would, you know, mate when they were in estrus or not. And one of the pieces of, of data that, that contributed to his conclusion was that if you castrate a male, he can still mate. 
he still can do his thing. So this is in dogs. Mm. Whereas if you remove a female's ovaries, it's all over. No way. She is not interested. But he changed his mind when he ran some experiments um, in which he, and I think that this was sort of serendipitous initially, the observation, and then he ran the studies to follow up. Um, but he, he observed that if you tethered a male dog to a stake um, and let the female run free, you know, she'd approach the male and he could only chase her so far before he ran out of rope. Um, and she would be like, oh, I'm not interested in you. It's like, come on, prove your worth. <laughs> um, and so that was, that was the start of some, some change anyway. And he wrote a, a an essay that was, um, a presidential address for one of the ma major American psychological association, um, branches at that time. Um, and, talked about this. And one of the things about dogs, which probably most people know, I don't, or maybe, maybe some city dwellers aren't aware of this, but, um, is that males and females after they mate, they sort of like get around, they, you know, they, they initially start doing the, you know, classic doggy way of mating. Um, and then they end up rump to rump in a copulatory lock. Mm. Um, and that's so that seminal fluid, and so there's some yeah. sort of mechanical thing that's happening with the male's penis that, um, and that, that, that will, that facilitates the full transfer of, uh, um, semen into the female. But the thing that I love about this paper was that, um, he talks about his, the, the, his, his views changing about sexuality. Um, but the title of his address, which he gave to a bunch of stuffy psychologists and maybe some unstuffy ones too, was locks and beagles. Oh, wonderful. It's because he studied beagles. <laughs> I've seen that, um, I've seen that locking mechanism. I saw like a video with a wolf or something like oh, yeah? that locked in and like some other males come by. Like he's, this one guy snuck in and made it with the female. And then these guys that is their territory or whatever caught him. Oh. And, but he was but locked he's in, so he's oh, stuck, no. and he couldn't get away, and he's trying to, like, bite himself free. It was oh, a dear. horrifying Oh, I don't think situation. I need to see that. No, it was... But, uh, yeah, that, so that's all that was going through my mind as you were talking. like, oh, no, the horror. Um, but, uh, okay, so a lot of... Uh, uh, so you're doing this um, fantastic groundbreaking research everyone's going to get your book hormonal and then they're <laughs> going to you're going to change so many people's views of how people are influenced by their hormones and what what exactly that means mm -hmm. and what, what do you think kind of the future of of some of this what or what do you hope the future of well some i of hope this i hope that be? women will feel more empowered about these hormonal states Mm -hmm. and embrace them and people you know just being more educated about them will allow them to um exploit their own hormonal states but i also think that you know it's a it's a call for more information so there are a variety of things that we do not understand well enough um and i think that our lack of knowledge is is more so on the female than the male side as i i think i've already made that case but Things like, you know, what are the 
what are the consequences of taking the pill? What are the consequences of using the pill and never having a, a menstrual period, which people can certainly do, women mm-hmm. can certainly do. Um, what are some possible solutions to bedroom troubles? What, how do we understand better, um, the impact of, uh, the hormones involved in breastfeeding and their relationship to, or their non-relationship to postpartum depression? which is something we've also studied in my lab. Um, and, you know, what about hormone replacement therapy? There's, you know, the classic case of these clinical trials being stopped short because there were problems, um, some, you know, scary problems that were occurring for the women who were in the um, group that was taking the, the hormone replacement. But I, I think, you know, I don't think that should be the end of the story. I think, I think there's more to be learned there. And I, and I also think that, that, that there's, you know, the possibility that we just embrace that there's this change and that it has its own adaptive logic and it has its own potential set of empowering consequences. So you can have sex and not worry about getting pregnant for example mm-hmm. or you can refocus your efforts not on little kids but on your grandkids so i think that you know i really hope that it's empowering and i hope that it triggers this the search for more knowledge yeah, i mean even just in something like birth control it might be 10 years from now some of the birth control that we've been using might be looked back on as pretty primitive yeah, I mean, it's changed a lot over time. It, the do- dosages have gone down. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are still um, many different formulations, and some of them are high in estrogen, which is the, obvi- which is the, the hormone or, or a synthetic estrogen, which is the hormone that, you know, peaks just prior to ovulation, during ovulation. Um, and so those will be, more estrus-like potentially in their effects, um, making women more interested in sort of, you know, like the sexier type individuals. Um, but then there are others that are, that are higher in progesterone and progesterone rises in the latter half of the cycle. It's involved in maintaining, um, a pregnancy and, um, you know, and, and it has much different, it has much different effects on relationships. So women tend to, in those phases of their cycle, be more, a little more interested in their long-term relationship partners, um, and not looking around so much, not, not doing the kind of mate shopping thing so much. Um, especially if their, if their partners are high investing partners and they, they want to maintain those relationships. So that's, um, so there are different hormone, there are different pill formulations. And I think that understanding more about how those affect our psychology, you know, I mean, I, I guess I can imagine a, a conversation between a woman and her gynecologist at some point in the future that takes account of that, but that's not happening right now. Yeah. It seems like pretty important stuff though. I bet that'll change soon. I hope so. Uh, yeah. Speaking of um, kind of, controversial political but still important uh stuff i i just kind of want to get a picture of how uh how your work shapes kind of the lens which you view the world so when something like uh uh you watch the news and something like this me too Mm. trend starts popping up how how do you view some of the what what kind of thoughts do you have that are maybe a little more specific to your work from like a 
hormonal lens. Oh point gosh. Of view. Well, Mm. You're kind of telling me. <laughs> I, I, was, I was hopefully leading you into something where you knew where to go because uh, I knew this would be uncomfortable. Yeah. But you're telling no. me before the podcast that there's kind of like these good and bad hormone. Uh, right. Well, I, I just. Um, I have a political perspective on this. Yeah. I don't know that I have a hormonal perspective on this. I mean, I, I think that, that women have um, not achieved as much as we might because of the hormonal stereotypes, right? It's mm-hmm. like, oh, don't promote her. She's, you know, she's gonna, she's gonna have babies. You know, don't, um, don't, don't count on dad to do anything because he's, you know, he's not the, that's not the paternal role. Um, you know, there are a variety of these stereotypes and I, and I, you know, and there are biological differences, no doubt. I write about them. Um, but I don't think that, I think that they've, I think that the world kind of takes them too far. Um, now, how does that manifest itself in the dynamics between males and females when it comes to these me too kinds of instances. I'm not sure. Um, except that I think that, um, you know, the, the, the stereotype of men's hormones and how they affect men's behavior is fundamentally different in some important ways. And so, you know, well, he can, you know, he couldn't help it. He was a man. Mm. No, sorry. We don't accept that. Right. Um, you know, it, it, so, so I guess there's, you know, it, it cuts a little bit both ways. I think that women have been more, um, it's been more problematic for women, the, the stereotypes about their hormones and how it affects their behavior. But, um, you know, I, I think that there, there are issues for guys too. Um, and, uh, and, you know, it, um, we ask a question in, I teach a class on sex and gender at UCLA. Um, and we have a roundtable discussion at the end of each term. And we ask the question, are there any ways in which men are discriminated against more than women? And, um, you know, the students will kind of look at us quizzically because we will have given a number of lectures about um, historical discrimination against women and the feminist movement and so forth. Um, and students sometimes struggle a little bit to come up with something, but I think there are some really good examples. Who goes to war? Who's expected to go to war? Who got drafted when we had the draft? Um, you know, who's expected to, uh, um, you know, play football and get head injuries um (laughs) who's expected to um you know approach a person that they might be interested in and you know get turned down yeah that one's not fair that one that it's not that well i'm (laughs) hey you know i think that i think the times have changed a little bit but um especially with you know the advent of online dating where everybody's you know checking each other out but um um you know i think that that there are there are some advantages that that and on sort of you know thinking about it the other way around um i think there are some advantages that women have that men don't so you know it's a really amazing 
beautiful thing to be able to have a child, to bear a child. Um, I think that, that the, you know, a lot of women experience have great experiences, not all, but a lot of women have really great experiences bonding with their children mm-hmm. um, by breastfeeding um, or just merely by spending more time yeah, with their not, children. You're not getting much milk out of my. No, you've got nipples, <laughs> but they're they're non-functional, unfortunately. And my child <laughs> would probably come out pretty long and narrow, I imagine. <laughs> that would that would that would well. Okay, I, I, I don't I don't envy that process. I'm, no, I'm just being ridiculous no, for no, no reason. No, no, but I but I you know so the, so there there are different experiences, and I just. Um, you know, there are historical, um, there's historical discrimination against women in the workplace for sure. Um, but I, you know, I don't think that it stops there. I think that there are, you know, pluses to being a woman that, that, you know, guys don't necessarily get to experience. I think that's, Females are magical <laughs> in some weird way that I don't understand. Yeah, they they, they seem to have uh, intuition that I uh, that I don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, some sort of social intuition that and that mm-hmm. seems like ESP to me sometimes. <laughs> that uh, that I makes me feel slightly inept and that and, and I'm kind of jealous of that. Yeah, so I think it's possible that females yeah. I mean, they're, yeah. evolved to have more social. Well, you know, and and uh, anthropologists talk about um, there being a, a long evolutionary history of women um, doing cooperative childcare with mm-hmm. one another, and so bec- in part because they were doing things like breastfeeding for up to four years, so not really a very convenient time to go romping through the forest and hunting animals. Although females in some tribes definitely do. Um, and so free drinks let's not forget about free drinks <laughs> oh right ladies night yeah that's pretty um awesome. yeah <laughs> right anyway so so yeah so i think it i think i, it, get I think that it a lot cut, on my podcast anyway. it, 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 it cuts it cuts both ways to some sure. extent um you know in the book i really focused on this double standard about hormones but um, which I think is really important for all of the reasons that I've already discussed. Well, it's wonderful. And uh, and people can check it out anywhere now. It came out um, February 13th. So you can be one of the very first people in the world to own it. Get it right right away before everyone else gets it. So you can you can be abreast of all the knowledge before all of your friends have it. Abreast, uh, abreast. <laughs> I don't know what the hell I'm talking about anymore. Uh, <laughs> right, right. Toward, everything goes really well right until the last like three minutes or so, and then I usually blow it. But um, but thank you so much for joining me of once course. again, and congratulations. Thank on, you. Uh, I, I thank book. you. I hope people. Will will um read it and get a lot out of it and uh i'm so happy to talk to you about it um <laughs> uh and and then one last little thing i always have my guests plug a nonprofit of their mm-hmm. choice each week yes well um we have a wonderful animal shelter um in culver city here called adopt and shop 
that I think is fabulous. Um, but more generally, I'd say just any animal shelter that sure. is in your local neighborhood, I hope you will support because I think they do great work. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining me, Marty. No problem. And thank you, <laughs> listeners, for being such wonderful, inquisitive folks. We'll talk to you next week. Next week on the podcast, Yana Gallas joins me. We're going to be talking about what motivates people just thinking purely in terms of economic rewards. What kind of other rewards do uh, motivate people? What what sort of achievements are people after? That sort of thing. Super important stuff. Really, really awesome uh, podcast. I've, I've had several good ones in a row coming out the next couple of weeks. I'm super excited for you guys to hear having a great 2018 so far. Man, I had, I had a rough, like, uh, second half of 2017 just mentally, uh, had all sorts of issues and went through a terrible depression. I love this podcast, but when I'm depressed, I don't want to do this podcast. And I'm like, what am I doing here? I don't care about this stuff. I don't want to talk to anybody. And the, the podcast suffer. I suffer. It's just awful. Nobody wins. It's just for so long. And, and one of those ones that I didn't think there was any escape from, but I've been taking good care of myself, been exercising, been feeling real motivated. I don't know how long it's going to last. I, it feels, I feel balanced. Uh, it's feeling good. And, and it's, I believe it's reflecting, um, in, in the podcast too. I think you're going to be, hearing that uh, hopefully you noticed it in this episode i think you're going to be hearing that in the next couple and hopefully the more to come that i haven't uh haven't recorded yet so all that is to say upon reflecting on the long three and a half years i've been doing this podcast uh thank you guys so much for always sending positive words and spreading the word for me and showing up to shows and all that stuff is just um as, as we explore different uh, different motivations next week. That's one of the big things that motivates me is knowing that there's people out there listening and caring and, and you guys are, are into this stuff as much as I am. And, and I feel, it makes me feel like maybe I'm doing a little bit of good in this world. Maybe we're all learning a little bit together. I think that's real neat. I hope that's the case. I think that it is. And so all that is to say that you guys are fantastic. Uh, quick plug for the laughable app. As I said before, make sure you're listening through that and subscribing to me. I have uh, another You Made It Weird podcast coming out as well as a couple others. And uh, don't forget Jamaica Psilocybin Retreat, michaelmeditations.com, May 5th through 13th. Here we are, listeners, all getting together in Jamaica to do the world's only legal psilocybin retreat. Do not miss out. Um, who knows if there's going to be another one specifically for Here We Are listeners or not. Uh, right now, it's just a one-off special thing. So I hope to see you there. Hope you can be a part of it. Limited spots available, so check into it right away. And those of you that listen all the way to the end, you are, of course, my favorite.
Hello, I'm Dave Ross. Hey, and I'm Hampton Young. And we host Suicide Buddies on Starburns Audio. That's right. It's a podcast about suicide, but not to make light of it. We actually talk about suicidal thoughts, depression, kind of with a sense of levity that Dave and I have with each other. He's my best friend. Come on. Yeah, we're buddies. <laughs> suicide Buddies. <laughs> That's the title. One of our favorite episodes that we've recorded so far is about this guy, Jan Pataki, who was a Polish aristocrat in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, one of the reasons it's possible that he killed himself <laughs> is that he thought he was a werewolf. Oh. Check out a clip. It also makes me think, like, we were talking about in the Norway uh, black metal episode, how, like, just the culture of your surroundings can affect you. Like, yeah. he's in a castle in Poland. <laughs> He's like, I mean, if you yeah. lived in a castle in Poland and no one knew anything about anything, you might be like, I'm a bat. I'm probably a bat. <laughs> <laughs> That's like literally what happened to Batman. He literally is in his mansion. He's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm, I'm a, a bat. bat. I'm a bat. I'm a <laughs> bat. I'm, a, I'm, I'm a, bat. a bat that helps people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bat that helps people. I'm a, I'm a rich- I don't know what you want from me. And my, uh, and my a, girlfriend, she's a cat. She's a cat. My she, girlfriend's she, a cat. She steals things. She's a woman who steals things. She's a cat. I'm a bat. I'm a I bat. Help people. She's a cat. We fight a penguin. My, uh, my, 